perfect. And he needs a little bit of help in doing this. I love that we get this little prayer here at the end of verse 9. He says, strengthen my hands, O God. But he demonstrates, again, that God is ultimately the one he's accountable to. And God is ultimately the one he fears. Because he fears God, he has nothing else to fear. Now, this hits home for us, church, in two ways. Number one, it offers us a model when we are falsely accused or gossiped about. Now, I trust that in a room this size, everyone's been there. If you haven't been there, you'll be there at some point. And it hurts, right? When we're on the end of a false accusation or when there's a piece of gossip that goes around and it hits us, especially if it comes from someone that we really care about or someone we hold in high regard, it hurts. Like every fiber of our being, it stings and our pride is hurt. And since we are innately wired to crave the approval of man, we want to do everything in our power to make it right. We want justice done immediately. But listen, when we fear God, we have the perspective that Nehemiah has. We know that the approval of God is the only approval we need that the only one we're going to give an account to as Christians is God. So like Nehemiah, we can simply say it's not true and move on, trusting wholeheartedly that God alone is going to take care of us, that we don't need to defend ourselves because God will defend his people. Second way this applies for us, it offers us a model. Second, it offers us a warning. Offers us a warning against doing the lying ourselves. Now, I think we have much to learn from Nehemiah here in chapter 6. We can also learn from the example of his enemies. Now, this type of rumor spreading deceit has the potential, we see this, to wreak absolute havoc on the work of God. And so let's bring this home for a second in Williamsburg. We want to be the kind of church that operates like a family, like a healthy family that shares genuine joy with each other and genuine struggle, genuine heartbreak. We actually want to be real with each other, have genuine fellowship, genuine accountability. Then listen, Coastal, we cannot tolerate gossip. I don't know why this is. For whatever reason, gossip has become one of those acceptable sins that we see in the church today. It's not like sexual immorality or drunkenness. Those are sins that Christians have no problem calling out. We have no problem standing against. But for whatever reason, we tolerate gossip. I think I know why this is. Gossip is easy. Gossip is enticing. It's exciting. It inflates people's sense of importance. It feels good to be in the know. But listen, when you become a member at Coastal Church, which again, come to We Are Coastal, learn more about membership, you sign a membership covenant. In that covenant, you promise, and I'm going to quote it, to act in love toward other members and refuse to gossip. So when we're having conversations with each other about things that are going on at the church, I want to give us two questions to ask. Number one, we're talking about someone else. Ask, can I quote you on that? Can I quote you on that? And then number two, before you speak about someone else, ask the question, am I willing to be quoted? Again, church, this goes back to the fear of man. Someone who fears men, has a desperate need to always be in the know. They don't want to miss out. And so they want as much information as possible about everyone so they can make sure they're never put in a position that might make them look bad. But when we fear God, we respond like Nehemiah here in chapter six, over and over again in this letter, he refuses to come down to the level of his enemies. They want him to come down both physically and spiritually, but he doesn't fear them. 
He doesn't believe them. He doesn't engage with them. Why? Because he knows there's only one opinion that ultimately matters. And it's not the opinion of man, church. It's the opinion of God. Finally, number three, the third exhortation from the church we see in Nehemiah 6. Don't compromise. Don't get distracted. Don't believe lies. Finally, number three, don't compromise. And so here's what's going on. Tobiah and Sambalot are out of options at this point. Nehemiah has resisted distraction. He's not coming down from the wall. He's been unaffected by this open letter. And so they make this one last ditch effort to try to stop the rebuilding. Verse 12. Verse 12 tells us they hire out a false prophet to offer to Nehemiah a supposed word from the Lord. Shemaiah, this false prophet, tells Nehemiah two things. One, his enemies are coming to kill him. And two, his best course of action would be to run into the temple and to shut himself into the temple. Now, here's what they're doing. They're trying to get Nehemiah to compromise his leadership by sinning against the Lord. They figure if we can get Nehemiah to run, we can make him afraid, cause him to run and have him sin while doing so, then the leader is taken out and maybe the work on the wall will cease. 2 Chronicles 23 tells us who can enter the temple. We'll have it up on the screen. The Bible says this, let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and the ministering Levites. They may enter for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the charge of the Lord. So this tells us, church, that only priests and Levites can enter the temple. And Nehemiah was neither of those two things. So for Nehemiah to run into the temple, even in an attempt to spare his own life, would have been direct disobedience to the command of God. And so look at how he responds in verse 11. Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and and live? I will not go in. See, this one verse, this contrast is incredible. We see both a rejection of the fear of man and an admission in the fear of the Lord in one sentence. He's saying in verse 11, I'm not going to run from you because I don't fear you. But going into the temple, I'm not doing that because I fear God. Now, here's what this teaches us, church. God will never put us in a position where we have to compromise our obedience to his word. That situation doesn't exist. When Nehemiah first sits down with the prophet, he's thinking that he's about to hear from the Lord. But as soon as Shemaiah offers a word contrary to the already laid down commands of scripture, Nehemiah recognizes instantly that this prophet wasn't speaking from God. And church, this is critical for us. There will never be a word from the Lord for you that contradicts what's already written down in this book. I've done this in my own life and I hope I don't come off like a jerk, but when someone comes up to me and says, I have a word from the Lord, my question is chapter and verse. Because God has already spoken definitively, finally, and authoritatively in his word. And God, furthermore, will never lead us to act in such a way that contradicts what the Bible says. So let me give you an example. This means that if you're married this morning, if you're married, God will never lead you to leave your spouse. He'll never lead you that way. If you're wondering whether or not you're married to the right person, do two things. One, Look at your marriage certificate. Two, look at the face of your spouse. If they match, you marry the right person. It's the word of God for us. If you're single, 
wondering whether or not you should be intimate with your boyfriend or girlfriend, thinking that God probably doesn't care because I'm going to end up with that person anyway, then stop wondering. God has spoken against all kinds of sexual activity outside of the marriage between one man and one woman. And in the same way, church, the opposite is true. If God has already commanded something in his word, we don't need to wait to feel led to obey that command. I'll give you an example. We talked about baptism in the last two weeks. God commands baptism. He commands it. And so our options are not, I'm going to wait to see if I feel led. Our options are obedience or disobedience. If you're wondering whether or not you should give financially to support the work that God is doing in your local church, then know this. Christians in the New Testament are encouraged and commanded to give sacrificially, joyfully, and generously. So you don't have to wonder if God cares about that. I hope we're seeing this, church. God's word is a guidepost for us. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and he won't ever lead us to compromise or contradict it. What does this mean? This means that we have to know it. This means that we actually have to know it. Nehemiah knew the commands of God, allowed those commands to shape his convictions, and because of that, when tested, he refused to compromise. He knew that running into the temple would have contradicted God's word and compromised his holiness. And so he refused to do it, even if it meant he might get himself killed. Why? Same answer we've been given this whole time, because he feared God. He didn't fear man. All right, let me wrap it up. I'll summarize three exhortations for the church from Nehemiah 6. Number one, don't get distracted. The mission that God has for us as a church is too vital. Number two, don't believe lies. We as Christians are called to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Number three, don't compromise. I want to invite the band back up and actually I want to invite our prayer team up too. Um, we're going to make this a normal part of our gatherings. We'll have a prayer team up on either side of me. Here's why. If you need prayer at Coastal, we want you to be prayed for. Don't leave without having been prayed over. If you want to respond to the sermon in any way, if you're struggling with something, come and be prayed over. As they come up, I want to say this. It might, especially if you've been in church for a while, be the elephant in the room this morning. There is a bigger story going on in Nehemiah 6 than the three imperatives that we offered. The three imperatives, don't get distracted, don't believe lies, don't compromise, are vital. They're concrete action steps for Christians, things that we're called to do. I called them exhortations because they exhort us to action. And, and maybe you have an action step coming out of this morning. Maybe there's a good thing in your life, Christian, that has been clouding and crowding your affection and your desire for Christ. Maybe there's a way, something in your walk with Jesus that you are compromising. But I want to close with this. I want to remind us, Coastal Church, that every page in this book, including Nehemiah chapter 6, is about God's plan of redemption through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's all one story, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. It's one story. Now, individual stories to be sure, but one united overarching story. Now, we as a church, when we walk through Nehemiah, here's what we're doing. We're taking principles from Nehemiah and applying them to our lives. We're running them through the metric of the New Testament. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. And the scriptures say, even in the New Testament, that we can learn from the examples of what's been written down. But listen, our example, ultimately, at the end of the day, is not Nehemiah. Our example is Christ. And even in Nehemiah 6, we see Christ in every verse. 
Think about our three imperatives with me for a second. We'll take them maybe backwards to forwards. So number three to number one. Our three imperatives. Don't compromise. What did Jesus do when he was on earth? Fully God and fully man, he refused to compromise. Because he refused to compromise, he made himself a perfect sacrifice for sin. Because Jesus was perfect, we don't have to be. Because Jesus was perfect, he made a way for us to have our sin forgiven. For us to be reconciled into a right relationship with our creator. He was tempted in every way that we were. He was tempted, yet was without sin. He didn't compromise. And that led him to death. Think about imperative number two. Don't believe lies. What happened to Jesus? They lied about him. They falsely accused him. They hated him. They hated Jesus so much so that they put him on a cross to die. They beat him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and they hung him on a cross to die where he would bear the weight of your sin and of my sin. And then think about how Jesus fulfilled number three for a second. Don't get distracted. What did they say to Nehemiah? Come down, Nehemiah. Come down from the wall. What did they say to Christ, church, when he's hanging on the cross? Come down. Come down. Take the easy way out. Come down. You don't have to do this. But Jesus, while he had all authority to come down in an instant, to obliterate his captors in an instant, he refused because the mission and the work of God was too important for him. And because he did that, this is so important for us to see, church. Now we can do it too. Christ fulfilled one, two, and three for us so that we could fulfill one, two, and three with us. Have to see that this morning. So I don't want you here this morning thinking, okay, college's given me a list of things I have to do. Christ has already done it. Christ has won. Christ has done it. It's so as people now, as a New Testament church, we have to have the mindset. We look at Nehemiah 6, we say, God, use your work to shape me more and more and more into the image of Jesus. It's critical for us. It's not a to-do list, church. Christ has done because Christ has done it for us. He now will do it through us. Let's pray. So, Father, I, I do. I thank you so much for the example of the mercy of Jesus. God, I thank you for your word. It's profitable for us. The MI6 is so good for us. We look at this example of staying on a mission, of allowing you to be the one that defends us, of refusing to compromise. God, and I pray for this church, for Christians all around me right now in this church, that we would be a people that don't get distracted. God, I know there are so many distractions in our world right now, and they're good things. Sports and hobbies, obligations, they're all good things. We want to be lights in the world. We want to be in our communities. God, but I pray right now for this church that we would not get distracted from the mission that God has given us. I pray, Father, that we would not be a people that believe and tolerate lies. Help us to resist gossip. We know it displeases you, God. Help us to entrust ourselves to you because your approval is the only one that matters to us. And then finally, Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be not an ounce of compromise in this room, that we would hold up your word and that we would obey it, that we wouldn't pick and choose our favorite parts, God, but that we would say, Lord, you have all of it. You have my money, my time, everything. God, you have it all because you're the Lord and Savior of my life. And so, Father, I pray that as we sing this last song, as we leave here today, our eyes would be really do what Hebrews 12 exhorts us to do. They would fix themselves on Jesus. Because Jesus has already modeled this for us. Because Jesus has already modeled it for us, Jesus will more get in us. Because he's done it for us, he will do it through us. So we love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.